Welcome to episode 12 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with host Matt Payne. Today's guest is probably doesn't even need an introduction. He's one of the world's probably best landscape photographers and uh, appeared on the podcast due to popular demand from other uh, guests. Uh, his name is Alex Noriega. Uh, man, we covered a lot of great topics, um, including... Uh, you know, copycats and compositions and kind of the state of landscape photography in general and how that ties into social media. Uh, We talked about uh, how Alex um, finds inspiration in the field and kind of what he he shoots for um, and what he looks for when he's out there getting shots. It was a great conversation and I think you guys are going to love it. Uh, Please uh, drop by and uh, rate the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks, and uh, hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, oh, shit. Yeah. Shit, man. Yeah, so uh, Alex Noriega, dude, it's, it's pretty awesome to have you on the podcast. You're... Every time I ask people who they want to have on the podcast, your name comes up pretty much every single time. Oh, <laughs> well, thanks to those people, I guess. <laughs> yeah, dude, and of course, you know, shit, dude, uh, I've been a huge fan of yours ever since I started uh, landscape photography back in 2011, because I think we had the same camera. You had the D7000 for a while? Uh, yeah, I was using that for a while. Yeah. I, I still was have like, some portfolio images from it. Yeah, I think... Shit, one of them's still one of my favorite images. I think it's called Voltaic Force. Uh, yep, that was with a seventy-one hundred, but yeah, pretty similar. close enough. <laughs> <laughs> so you're back in Portland now? Uh, yeah, I've been back here since last year. Nice, nice. How you liking it? I love it. I mean, I just keep coming back. This is the third time I've moved to the city, so yeah, I'll stick around of, for a while. What part of Portland are you in? I'm in North Portland. Okay, cool. Yeah, I lived at a. Uh, 33rd in Belmont. Southeast, right? Yeah. Yeah. Seems like a nice area. I know uh, Bellino's down there somewhere. Yeah, he's he's like in Woodstock, I think. Yeah. Like further down south. But yeah. So shit, man. We got like a whole fucking list of topics to talk about. Uh, all right. Let's just I jump don't in. remember anything that I wrote. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So one thing, one thing I know for sure about you, um, just based on your photos, is like almost all of your photos are super unique in terms of composition and location, and um, I think that's one thing a lot of people really like about your work, other than your sick processing. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about like how you felt about people, you know, doing repetition and copying other people and. Well, we're jumping right into it. Um, jumping right in, man, head first. <laughs> well, that's a uh, that's a complex subject. I think there's a lot you could say about it, but I will say that not all of my photos have always been unique. That's just something I've been striving for the last few years. I think when I started out, and I'm sure it's the same for a lot of people, I wanted to kind of recreate the photos that were inspiring me, or create sure. something similar. Absolutely. So I'd look at someone like Mark Adamus or Ryan Dyer early on and like, yeah, I want that. I want that bold, you know, like really nice emphasis on the light, like just something that'll knock your socks off. Um, 
type of look. And then if you don't know a place, you're going to probably look to other photos for ideas on where to go. Right. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people don't do this full time, and so they don't have infinite time to go research every location and find everything for themselves. So it results in a lot of uh, copying in the end, I think, because you end up going to the same spots, and there's some very... You already have a composition in mind because you saw uh, someone else's photo there, and you can't get that out of your head, and you kind of get tunnel vision for that, or there's just... Maybe it's a limited location where there's kind of one comp that is clearly the best. Right. If, you, if there's not a lot you can do with the spot. And I get all that. I totally do. Um, but that said, I feel like in the last five years it's become more prevalent to just only do that and never really progress beyond that. I don't really uh-huh. see like a desire to create something unique or put oneself into the photo coming from a lot of people nowadays and that's something that I, I think like five years ago I saw that a lot more like yeah totally whenever someone would go to a new location they'd be so happy to show this thing they got that was different from what everyone else got there and a lot of those go on to become icons um, but I just feel like people are just happy to get the icon now, like the shot. It's kind of like a trophy hunting or stamp collecting mentality. And that's fine, but I just, it doesn't interest me. Like, I I don't, I'm not very, I look at a lot of photography. I look at a lot, <laughs> and I have been doing it for years, just day in, day out. And I just, when I see the hundredth photo of a place, like, it doesn't matter how good the processing is or... Um, how sweet the conditions were. Like, I don't feel like that person did much other than show up once they've got those like technical skills in check. Right. If they're if they're copying the same composition, so it just doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't. It's not the kind of photo that's knocking my socks off anymore, like it did when I started. Because now that I'm aware of like who's shot what and when and how long these photos have been being made. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this topic. Um, I talked to with David Thompson about it for a while, too. And I, sometimes I wonder if it's just part of where kind of different people are at in the process of becoming photographers. Because I feel like when I first started, like every photo I looked at was new. Like, oh, what's that place? What's that place? I want to see that place. And, you know, and, the, and now that I've seen, like like you said, like the 20th photo of, of horseshoe band or whatever like you're like yeah that's, that's oh, you've great. only seen 20 <laughs> <laughs> like today you know what i mean like yeah no, that makes yeah. more sense yeah <laughs> i i guess i feel like maybe some of that's just because of how much photography we look at and how, yeah. how like because it's a pretty small place if you think about like what's shootable composition wise like unless you're you mean horseshoe bend in particular as an example or I was just thinking, like... Or, like, the U.S., or... Yeah, the U.S., I mean, it, it seems like it's not, but if you think about, like, what are... I don't know, if you go to, like, Eagle Creek, for example, near Portland, you know, there's only... Well, now there's zero compositions of Metlaco, but, you know, like, there's really only one spot you could take a photo of that falls unless you wanted to go way to the top. Yeah. So it's, like, I feel like some of it's just because locations have been found, and 
you only can really shoot those locations a couple of different ways. Definitely. I think I think that the gorge is a little bit limiting in that, you know, most of the shots are found along certain creeks, right, where they're accessible. They don't require a lot of bushwhacking and there's falls along the creek. And right. then in order to even fit a waterfall in your field of view, you need a fairly wide lens. So it's hard in the forest to get any farther away and use a longer lens. So there are some constraints in that example, like where sure. I can totally see why a lot of the photos coming out of there are similar. And then color wise, like it's pretty much always green, like <laughs> right or yellow, whether or not you have light coming in from the top is like the biggest difference in conditions unless they go in the winter. It's right. just, there's not a lot of variance there unless you start looking for smaller scenes on the for on the forest floor, or if you're focusing on just the water or some site, some type of a uh, intimate or abstract, but yeah, I, I get it. I feel it for those locations. And that's what I was saying, especially with Mitlaco. You said not anymore because the platform collapsed, right? Yeah, I think it did. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. Um, I've never even been there, but I had only ever seen the one shot of it. I know Mark Metternick actually like paddled in and got behind it or something. That, was, that requires <laughs> a lot of work and planning, obviously, so not everyone's going to do that. But that's kind of what I was saying when I was qualifying my statements just sure. with certain locations are kind of limited and I understand and, and they're beautiful to be at. Like I won't deny that I loved seeing Panther falls for the first time or whatever it is in the gorge, but photographically it just doesn't, the result doesn't interest me. Right. So I, I well, often go to those spots and shoot something. And if I can't come up with something that's me, then I'm just not ever putting anything out. I just went there and had a good time, but I'm, I'm not, trying to force a photo out of every situation sure so where so what kind of approach do you have now to to find locations that um that you want to shoot that's a little tough i i spent a lot of time on google earth honestly and looking at maps yeah me too i just love seeing as my buddy alex modi put it father father time and mother nature freestyling is how he describes <laughs> like some of the geology in the southwest that that stuff has really been inspiring me the last couple of years um i just it's so crazy like it looks like an alien world and at first i was into mountains and i still love mountains i love being in mountains they're a great photographic subject they can be so dramatic it's not that weird i don't know it doesn't it, it feels like earth but some places in the southwest some of that geology really could be an alien planet if you didn't know oh absolutely if you, if you if we had imagery of other planets, you might not be able to tell it apart. You might not know that that's like, it's just so crazy. So that really interests me because geologically it's inherently unique. And then there's just so much to discover there still. I think, I know you said that it's kind of limited and on the surface. Yeah. Like you look around horseshoe bend and like, Oh, obviously the big giant bend where the river goes around, like that's the prominent thing in the area. But then tucked in every like crack in a canyon as a slot canyon, and that's how all those got found. You know, you just have to follow every wash or tributary up until in, it goes in the canyon, and there's crazy slot canyons like hidden away, but from the outside, they look like nothing. Right. And that stuff is all over in the Southwest. The Southwest is full of hidden treasures that, like, even with guidebooks, you could not experience it all in a lifetime because there's still so much to be found. And then 
as far as photos go, I just think that it provides a lot more unique opportunities because you're not trying to photograph something as large as a mountain or like as constricting as the waterfall conditions that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Just more opportunities to be different present themselves, I think. So that's really been my focus the last couple of years. Yeah, I feel like every time I go into the desert, I, I'm like overwhelmed with like composition ideas like oh like like it's almost too much to shoot you know like it's yeah it's crazy <laughs> and and often the thing with the desert is that it doesn't present itself so boldly you know like if you go to mount hood or any volcano in the northwest like if that's your intended subject it's pretty obvious how you're gonna shoot it and how you're gonna frame it generally you just have to find surrounding elements right right so because it's just one mountain it's gigantic what else are you going to do unless you're not trying to shoot the mountain which is fine but with the desert like it might look like just an endless expanse of dirt but if you start exploring it then behind that corner or in that canyon there could be something insane and i also think it just the raw display of geology encourages you to look for patterns and smaller scenes they may be really large but just not something with an obvious subject and a sky and just the formulaic composition. Yeah. I was in the, I rafted half the Grand Canyon back in March and, uh, you know, it's as far as photography goes, like it's pretty remote. Like there's not a lot of people that have taken a camera in there. I feel like, and, or maybe they haven't, I just haven't been paying attention, but, <laughs> but I, I, I found like all kinds of really cool stuff. Like, I found this spot about like half mile from our campsite one night that was just like filled with these huge cactus and like I was like obsessed with trying to get a shot of all these cactus with the the canyon walls behind it and stuff like that like I don't think I came away with anything too crazy but it was still fun just to like find stuff yeah. like kind of like you're saying like every, every round every corner you find something really weird or cool that's it's like oh how, how can I f shoot that and it's part of it is just the way that canyons work with light. Like they can create situations that aren't just color at the edges of the day, you know, like the way that light might reflect down a canyon or create a silhouette of something with the bright wall behind something dark or reflect in the water or whatever it is. Like it's just a little more interesting to me to find something crazy going on than with say a mountain where the best light is generally going to be at the edges of the day because um, that's when it's most directional and the mountain's so high, like you're not, it's just catching the best light at a certain time, unless there are atmospherics or clouds that let through a spotlight. Or, and that's another thing, like mountain photography or big scenes are just so dependent on conditions. True that. That I feel like it's more like reacting to the conditions around you and that can create amazing photos. It can produce amazing results but it can also produce it's some it's a different kind of yeah yeah definitely <laughs> it's a different kind of uh interaction from the artist though it's not actively seeking and arranging your photo it's more reacting hmm. which is a skill in, a, in and of itself and i've certainly like missed great light and great things happening because i was not in the right mindset or not looking in the right place like you can mess it up but it's just it's more capturing and less creating i think at least for the the wide angle kind of standard shots 
For sure. Although this last weekend, I was up 12,000 feet here in Colorado. Like just I near my campsite, there was like three or four 12,800, 13,000 foot peaks. And like every night I climbed a different one. And and then the last the last night I was there, I found I found this. uh, I got to the top of this one and like the light was actually looking pretty good for sunset and the clouds were looking pretty good. And I must have spent 45 minutes wandering around three or 400 foot radius trying to find a composition uh, that would, you know, that would be interesting. Not just like, here's the side of the hill and, yeah. and the mountains over there and some clouds. Like it, it took me forever to find something that I liked. And I could have just gotten, you know, I could have just set my tripod up on the top and which is probably what I used to would I I used to would have just done that. I would just set my tripod up on the very top and taken a photo. Mm-hmm. But this time I was like trying really hard to find like really interesting elements on the ground, like rocks or flowers or weird, you know, like patterns or whatever, like you're talking about. Yeah. And I feel like some of that's just like experience and curiosity, but some of it's, you know, like you're saying, I think the Southwest and the desert provides a little bit more opportunity for that yeah i mean there's something about mountain geology it's a lot more chaotic like boulders and just rocks falling as opposed to just pure erosion on display in the desert which tends to create more patterns yes but that's not to downplay like a good composition in the mountains um and certainly if you're climbing the peaks like you're putting in a lot more work than 99 percent of the people and you're going to get a really interesting view because how many people ever see like a full mountain range from the top of a mountain, right? Um, unless they're flying over it. Yeah. It's like, it's it's a difficult thing to get up that high on foot. So I definitely respect that, and I have shots planned like that too. Um, this month actually, I'll be in Wyoming in the Wind River Range. I've got a shot at about twelve thousand five hundred that I planned, and I couldn't do it last year because it's two thousand feet above camp. Yeah. I just wasn't in shape for it, but <laughs> yeah, I do it this time. Yeah, that's about all I do now is, I mean, well, it's, it's how I got into photography to begin with was mountain climbing and and then, you know, just taking my camera with me. And and now it's, it's fun to, like, climb smaller mountains that have views of the bigger mountains. Yeah. I mean, that's why everyone shoots Tom, Dick, and Harry, right? Or they shoot Hood from TDH. Yep, yep. Little, little mountains surrounding the big ones are often the best views. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I still love mountain photography, and I love mountains, and I love backpacking and all that. I just um, have generally been more focused on the desert as of late. It just is easier for me to come away with something that I feel is unique to me. So let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about um, the importance of light. And I don't know. You had said you you said in your email to me that. Processing won't save a turd. Which <laughs> did I write that? That sounds like you did. Yeah. Which which I thought was hilarious because um, when I was in I was in Monument Valley, I guess that was last month or the month before. Now um, I was down there with um, some people, and we kept talking about Ryan Dyer and creating something out of nothing because I think he has a video that says creating yeah, something out of nothing. Yeah, that's his most recent video, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, was, I thought it was funny that your email said you can't create something out of nothing. So it's, I, talk, talk to me about that. Okay. Well, first of all, Ryan can definitely uh, do that. And I'm not saying that he does with all his photos. Like He's, sure, a, sure, he's sure. a great artist and 
highly respect Absolutely. I think he's using that as a teaching tool, and I tend to do that too. Like, I choose um, photos. That aren't exactly the best? That, I, I think the final result is good, but that the raw files require a lot more work on so that I can demonstrate more techniques. And I'm sure that sure. that's what he was after too. Like Absolutely. if you're creating something out of nothing, you're doing a lot more. You don't want to try to teach with a file that's good out of camera. Cause you're not going to see that much done to it. And it's more just instructive to show all those techniques on something where you have to polish a turd or whatever. And it might not be a turd. It might be a great composition and just bad light or whatever. I was more referring to, bad compositions with bad light or just boring light. Like I, I've seen a very common overarching like reverence for color in the sky, just mm. color. And yeah. it's like, look at this sweet sunset. I got, I got such sick light and it's just color in the sky, but there's no <laughs> light like on the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you captured color in the sky. Where's the light on the landscape? Like, that's not interesting to me because I see it so often and on so many photos, it's just show up at an iconic location or a very formulaic composition, like two thirds land, one third sky and the sky is red and automatically it's good. Like it's just for me, that doesn't do it. I need some light on the land. I need something interesting happening with it. And I see a lot of people trying to create an interesting result in terms of the light or they try to compare it to another photo with good light and they're like I got good light why can't I make my photo look like this well actually didn't you just got color it's not the mm. same thing like it's a lot easier to enhance and emphasize light where there was some it doesn't have to be crazy you could make it look crazy but if there was no light if it was just color in the sky and you don't have very many reflective surfaces like snow or water and it's just kind of like a dull light on the land yeah it's difficult to pull much out of that but if you had a little bit of light like soft light on the land you can definitely emphasize that to a great degree so that's kind of what i'm referring to when i say polish a turd that's funny man because uh it's so funny when we were in monument valley like there there was one night where there was actually everyone was saying like oh my god the light was so good and it was just that there was a lot of color in the sky mm -hmm. and it's funny because i feel like that's like the um, the golden chalice of landscape photography for some people is like having colorful clouds like i know i get upset like if i know there's no not going to be any clouds i'm like eh, i don't think i'm gonna shoot there's no clouds Right. But I like what you're saying about, like, that's not always what's interesting. Yeah. I mean, if you look at my my personal favorite images, um, I'm looking through them right now. Just only a couple of these have what you would call, like, a crazy sunrise or sunset. Most of them are... Yeah, I was going to say, like, three. Yeah. And a lot of them don't have a sky in them at all. A lot of them have light, like the um, Rainier one, but not color in the sky and that's partly how i process that but it's just not that interesting to me like capturing pink or red above everything <laughs> yeah yeah, you know, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of one note and i i certainly appreciate when that happens i'm like oh man i have to capture this i still have that instinct but it doesn't always end up being a very interesting photo or one that holds my attention for long um i've got 
a few shots like that that aren't even on the site anymore because they just weren't doing anything for me um, that initially they did when I captured them a few years ago and now it's just doesn't doesn't hold my attention yeah, I noticed you have a lot of kind of more abstract um, type shots on on your site and I don't necessarily know that you've always kind of had a taste for that based on what my memory tells me it's fairly recent yeah um, last couple of years um, how did you kind of get into that hmm I think that when I started in landscape photography like I said I had a desire to copy guys like Mark Adamus um, just like that bold not not that Mark's shots are overdone but the things that people try to copy all the time I was doing the same thing and and that was driven by a genuine love of the place. Even if I didn't know it yet, it was, I see a photo and I'd be like, man, I want to be there. That's what this photo makes me feel. I want to be there. I want to see this. And I want to create something that makes me feel the way that I feel right now looking at this shot. And that's perfectly valid. And that's how I felt then. But after I did that for a few years, I just kind of, stopped feeling that way about a shot like that it was more oh here's another one like i did it again but that doesn't really <laughs> it's just uh, it's not me God. it's not me in the photo you know it was just um huh. it just didn't speak to you yeah it was just doing it was going through the motions it was doing what i thought i had wanted to do from the start but that was before i had seen ten thousand photos or however many i've looked through you know and now, the abstracts are just a way to uh, create something unique, something that's mine. And that's generally, if you look through my favorites, what you'll see. Um, there yeah. are a couple, like Toro Weep, that's just an amazing place. Like I know there's right. not much I different mean, you can do there. Um, my right. shot's a little different. Blue sky, like stormy instead of colorful, um, which I think is a nice contrast to the red of the canyon, but a kind of similar comp to a lot of them there. And that i just love that place that's really awesome you can you can shout there and you don't hear the echo back for seven seconds because that's how <laughs> wide the canyon is there and you can look three thousand feet straight down that's taller than the tallest building in the world that's crazy it is crazy man like just it's it doesn't come across in the photo but the photo reminds me of that so i like it the scale of it is just unbelievable i mean it, it's been, like toro weep's cool because like if you've if you've ever been down to the to the bottom and seen how big that river actually is, like Toro Weep makes it just look like a tiny little Yeah, a little strip. <laughs> yeah. Especially with a wide angle lens. But yeah, even with your eyes. Oh yeah, and, totally. You're like, oh there's then, the river down there, the Colorado River. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a little guy. It's just also the little guy that created this magnificent canyon. <laughs> right. Um Yeah, it's it's crazy if you sit there for a while too. Like at first I was very scared to go up to the edge. And then once you get comfortable with it, you don't really think about it anymore. And it's very, you kind of lose that sense of scale, but if you step away and come back and you get it back, I think anyway, shots like that, like you'll see a couple of those that are among my favorites just because of the place. But generally I want these shots, um, like my curated portfolio to be me hmm. and something that no one else has or something that, I've done in my own way 
and yeah, when I was starting out, that used to be like, oh, I'd go to an iconic location and shoot it at twilight instead of at sunset. Like that was my thing for a while. Mm-hmm. And I was doing like the twilight star blends. Um, but that's just not different enough. That's just different conditions, but doing the same thing. I really want these to be totally different. So, so do you feel like that's what drives you right now as an artist is to set yourself apart from other people, like as a, as a um, unique thing or that's what, that's kind of what helps guide me in terms of what I'm releasing. Okay. But, but it's not really driven by other people. It's still from within. Like I have a love and like a fascination for like the geology of the yeah uh, Colorado plateau and like the majesty of mountains and dramatic light. Like I've had that for as long as I can remember way before I got into photography but yeah i'm definitely thinking about like is this just the same thing that everyone else has done like if it is then it better be really nice otherwise i'm not going to release it if you look at like my new work i don't think i have almost anything in there except Tora weep in the last year that's that you could call iconic um, it just hasn't been my interest as of late so yeah and a lot of abstract stuff too yeah and some of that is uh a lot of people didn't know those were aerial um, because I didn't say in the initial post because I didn't want the talk to be about like, oh, did you use a drone or is that a helicopter? Or talk about equipment. Like, I just wanted people to talk about the shots, but I think a lot of people thought they were small until I um, mentioned in a later post that they were aerial. So that's that's interesting to me, just knowing the scale of those shots which you can't really get just by looking at them. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted, I wanted them to stand on their own without knowing that. So. Yeah, my um, I don't know if you know Kane or not, but my buddy Kane. I, I know of his work, yeah. Yeah, so we we went out to um, Monument Valley a couple months ago, and on the way there we, we stayed a night, just the two of us at Mexican Hat. Mm-hmm. And there's this, uh, there's this feature, I think it's, east of Mexican hat called the Navajo blanket. And it's like this really interesting, um, it's the side of this oh. mountain that looks, it looks like a Navajo rug. Like it has all these like angles and colors and it just looks really cool. Flame kind of formations. Yeah. 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 They look kind of like flames. Yep. Yeah. And he, Is that the shot that he released recently? Oh, I don't know if he did it. Did he, did he finally put it out there? Any like I got to see him take it. Like he, flew his drone like over the top of it like right before sunset and like had it pointed at this really funky angle and like it just looked so fucking cool like i was super jealous because it was i mean there's no other way to get that shot than to have a drone but it right it was so cool and that's aerials are one way that you'll find me railing on the idea that equipment makes your photos better like I hate, hate being asked, you know, what camera did you take that oh, with? Oh yeah, me too. Whatever. That's pretty. <laughs> it's just pretty Polaroid. I, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, and like I don't worry too much about gear, even though I've recently been able been able to upgrade to some nice stuff. I, uh, I mean, like like we were saying, the D seven thousand sixteen megapixels. That's still plenty to make a big print. Absolutely. Um, it's still plenty to get your vision across. Like. Sure, if it was 
36 or 50 megapixels, you'd be able to make a sharper print. But like, if you take care with the techniques you're using on whatever gear you have, you can make good stuff. It's not. Yeah, absolutely. It's not limiting you, except in certain circumstances, like the Aurora or Milky Way right. or something that's like stretching the capabilities of the sensor, or maybe you don't have a wide enough or long enough lens. But for the most part, like, I wouldn't say that gear is going to make anyone's photos better. But aerials, that is a completely different perspective. And it's just not seen from, you know, three to six feet off the ground, like almost every other photo. So Right, exactly. And it gets you perspectives that you'd never be able to see. Yeah. And scale. You can really see something huge and fit it into the frame, something that you wouldn't see from the ground. I mean, that's just... That's really interesting to me. So that has been a focus for the last year. That's fun. Well, and it's probably a good way to, I guess, kind of spark your your creativity too, is to have that whole other tool in your toolbox. Yeah. And it's just, I do agree it's a little, like um, drones are annoying, helicopters are expensive, and like there are downsides to it for sure. You can't just get out there and be in like a quiet place contemplating once you're actually flying but it's just a crazy tool and what else are you going to do to get that shot i don't do it when other people are around at all i don't think anyone's ever heard me flying because i don't want to disturb anyone's time in nature and i also want to be in remote enough places that there's no one else around anyway so that's cool man i i, I really respect that because i mean i think the stuff people get with drones is pretty pretty amazing but like you said the downside is that it can be pretty disruptive. So I yeah. super respect that you have that in the back of your mind. Yeah. Well, I mean, it annoys me when I'm using it. It's just I'm too enthralled <laughs> by what I'm seeing that I let it slide. <laughs> but yeah, and you can't do it in national parks either. So you have to start thinking outside the box, outside of the uh, normal locations. And that's kind of, I've been poring over maps for a long time in Google Earth, like even before I was into photography, just kind of enthralled by geography and geology and it kind of plays into that because you can use that to scout and yeah absolutely find your perspectives and then go do it yeah i mean don't get me wrong i would have loved to have had a drone this weekend to be able to like fly it up to the vantage point of the mountain i climbed before i climbed it to see if it had the view i thought it had had. (laughs) right that's dude when i was talking about that shot in the mountains that's uh that I've got planned. I luckily have a buddy that lives in Colorado at elevation and it was no problem for him to hike up there. And I had scouted it out on Google earth. I'm like, I know there's this shot up there. I know it's going to look awesome. And then he was going to go up there with me and I just couldn't make it. I was already at 10,500 feet, like hiking like 10 miles in there. Like I couldn't go another 2000 up. Yeah. But he went and did it. No problem. And he shot it on his little point and shoot. He's not, he's not a, serious photographer but he he does what he can and he came away with a sweet shot like he definitely scouted it out for me and i was thinking like if i had a drone <laughs> i could have just flown it up there because you do have height restrictions but if you're within 500 feet or something of a structure or a wall like you can be 400 feet above that so like you could fly right up against the mountain all the way up and just scout like 1500 feet up <laughs> yeah totally it, it's pretty amazing and, and it would be legal just as far as that's concerned but yeah it's definitely cheating 
<laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. I was I was thinking about getting a Mavic and bringing it there this summer, and like, I think I could get the shot without hiking up two thousand feet. But <laughs> I also kind of want to just be up there, and I want to get it in a higher resolution. And it does feel like cheating, and I don't want to lug four batteries into the backcountry. So, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah definitely like... a tool to augment for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I know it's. I mean, the stuff the stuff you can get with the right conditions is pretty pretty amazing yeah yeah so uh let's um let's talk a little bit about um social media and the current state of social media how how are you using social media and how are you how how do you see it uh playing into what you're doing with your work well i don't think i think that i'm probably not using it enough like i haven't i don't think i've posted a new shot in like six months Oh, wow. Um, I did a bunch in January and, well, a bunch for me, like six shots um, that I all shot in California in January. And I've been on a little bit of a hiatus and just kind of planning and biding my time, uh, waiting for summer and fall. I have some plans. So I haven't been using it as much as I should. I know that if I wanted to grow my business the most I possibly could, I would always be posting. But if I don't have new work, there's only so many times I want to repost things before I start coming out with new stuff again. I don't want to keep pushing the exact same images on everyone too much. Yeah, um, isn't it funny how, I don't know, you're, you're, what you're saying resonates with me because, I don't know, like there's this emotional weirdness for me about social media. Like, I don't want to just repost old stuff. Which then forces it, but then like on the flip side, it forces me to put out stuff that's not my best. And but then it's like, but if you don't put stuff out there, then people won't see your work. It's like this weird. <laughs> yeah, I've just learned to uh, get over the reposting thing a little. Like, not everyone sees a shot when you put it out. Not everyone's on social media that day, or right. Maybe they weren't following you at the time, or maybe just. They didn't see it because reach is severely restricted on Facebook and Instagram, or they didn't see it because no one goes on 500px anymore. Like, there are a lot of reasons someone might not have seen a shot the first time you put it out. So I definitely, my best work, I want to make sure it's seen. And if that's the best thing I have, that's what I want to present. I don't want to put something subpar out there. So I'll definitely repost, but I try to come up with a theme to the post or some extra thing to go with it like a little write-up about something that these images illustrate or maybe like they're all of one location or one type of subject but and as a promotional tool like if i release a new video i'll definitely have a string of posts some of them repost just so that i can consistently get the word out that there's a new video or whatever it is that makes sense but yeah for but for the most part, I'm I'm so restrictive. I'm so picky about what I'm releasing that I'm just... Sometimes the well is run dry, and if I'm not out creating, then I don't have anything to post, and I just don't do it. So I could be using it more, for sure, social media. But it's not that important to me, because I feel like I have a following established, at least. Yeah. And whenever I do have something new, they'll see it. And I'm just trying to create something good, like too high standards. So hopefully that will help it be seen whenever I do release it. But that's just 
that's on the topic of reach. There's a lot more that can be said about social media. I think that um, what we were talking about earlier with uh, the copying and the iconic images and just not really having an adventurous or original idea or drive with your photos, just not you or me, um, just in general, a new wave of people or just the, uh, the general state of things that I'm seeing now. I think that's all linked to social media because I think that, like I was saying five years ago, people were trying to come back with something unique. I think when they were coming back, they were putting it on like a small forum like NPN yep. or Flickr, which you know was like 500px back in the day, but still like smaller scale. And I just feel like more thoughtful comments were given then, and that encouraged more thoughtful shooting. And it was it was a good cycle. Like I really liked that, and it certainly helped me when I was starting out. But now it's just with Instagram and uh, the way that Facebook reaches and the way the 500px evolved, it's just so based on likes and popularity and just something that stands out in a thumbnail or on a smart device, very small. It just seems like there's not much thought put into it in general anymore, at least not to the degree that there was. But isn't isn't that kind of a product of how we're wired as people? I mean, because, you know, peop- we like shortcuts. We like, mm-hmm. um, you know, the thing with NPN and all that back then is like, if you wanted to be good, like you had to put in the work, and and nowadays I feel like it's it's this weird like cycle of you're like the third or fourth person I've interviewed that's kind of brought that up, and it but it's funny because we're also feeding people more information at a faster rate where it's more accessible and they don't have to do as much to get it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I, mean? I think I think David. David Thompson was saying in his interview with you, I did listen to that one, something about how you can go buy all the tutorials now and take a workshop and you're way further along than you could have been in that amount of time back then for that amount of money. And uh, like you said, there's it was, it was harder to be good then because you had to put in more work. I think that just depends on the definition of good, though. If you're saying that it's if it's easier to be good now, it's easier to put out images that are like decently well done of an interesting subject with a good composition. But the, the problem is that it's most likely someone else's composition and the processing or the artistic style to the processing may be very similar to a previous artist just gleaned from tutorials. It's just less unique. And I guess that's mainly how I would qualify good nowadays is uh, uniqueness or the how well the artist is actually speaking through the image as opposed to like whether it's technically good yeah i mean i think i totally agree with everything you're saying i guess where i'm landing in all this though is that it's isn't providing those workshops and not i mean i'm not mm-hmm. like you need to make a living right <laughs> yeah i see where you're going with it um yeah i'm definitely feeding into it I've been trying more and more to be more selective with the number of workshops that I do and the techniques that I teach. Like I used to teach things that now I would absolutely not recommend anyone do. And that's not 
because it's a bad practice. I just think it's lazy. Like I used to teach how to make sun stars, for example, in Photoshop, and I could make them because people wanted that uh, Canon 16 to 35 <laughs> sun star, oh, but if they didn't absolutely. have that particular lens, their sun star didn't look anywhere near as good. So I found a way to fabricate those in Photoshop, just completely make them from scratch, and I taught a lot of people how to do that. It's just now like that's never going to make a photo good. I don't think that has anything to do with how good your shot is, no matter how much it means on a sun star. It's only like a nice little flourish, and the fact that it would be fake would kind of turn me off now. So um, I don't teach that to people anymore. <laughs> and and that's an example of like how I've tried to dial back how much I'm feeding into this thing that I'm laying into. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I'm also doing fewer workshops because I don't, it is conflicting to like have such a respect for the land and feel so terrible when I see special places start to get overrun, potentially right. destroyed. Like I don't want to feed into that. And I definitely, I guess was part of the problem with workshops, but I'm just trying to do less of all that. And I'm focusing more on the processing videos, which are lower impact, you know? Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, it's still, if anyone that bought my video emailed me with a question on why they couldn't make this photo look good, like if it was a turd, I'd still try to gently tell them that like you need to focus on composition and light also. I'm not going to say that the video will just make your photos good magically. but For sure. So yeah, I'm trying to be more honest about that side of it and more, uh, more, more true to myself, I should say, in, in terms of what I feel. But you do have to make a living, so it's there's some conflicts of interest there for sure. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you said it because I've I've personally struggled just thinking about that topic because it's it's this weird thing that kind of plays into itself from both sides, or and and, and you if you go too far one way, it like it's it's it doesn't do anyone any good. Yeah, and it's it's hard, but it's hard to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you have to be gentle if you're talking about people's art. You, uh, I think that people are a little too sensitive nowadays. I think David was talking about this a little bit, about the uh, critique online and stuff like that. Like in the NPN days, you could totally have your image ripped apart, and that would make you a better photographer if you were willing to listen, because those guys generally knew what they were talking about and had some good things to say, and sometimes you just get tunnel vision when you're working on your own image and you don't really see it from someone else's perspective. You may not see things that other people see. So it's good to get outside feedback, especially if you're learning and you don't have an extremely strong like artistic vision for where you want to go with something. I just feel like it's harder to give that kind of critique nowadays. I feel like people are very sensitive and I don't know if that's part of the social media, the general, way that social media has gone with all the likes and the back padding like people just expect that and anything even remotely negative is all of a sudden mean-spirited to them I, I don't really understand it i feel like it's part of it's because people haven't had to go through that process before like you know people i feel like in the late 90s early 2000s like that was the only way you got better is you got your images ripped apart by other people and nowadays you get better by getting a Skype lesson or like 
taking a workshop or it's I feel like it's easier to get better without getting your ass handed to you on an online forum. And that's that's I guess playing into all of this is the lower bar that I feel like people have. Like people are happy to just come home with a shot that is bold and has color and is that composition that they saw online. Like it just checks all the boxes for what they liked about the shot they saw. Right. It's not their own really. It's just that's what they wanted and they went and paid what they had to or did what they had to to get that. And now they have that. And there's not like a drive from within them to improve and do something that speaks from within. It's just recreating to mm-hmm. a degree. So, But I feel um, like the people that do that don't last. Right. That's, that's true. I think that to last in this arena, you need to at some point find your own artistic voice and start doing something that's you or you'll just blend in with everyone else yeah they're just gonna be bored <laughs> yeah i mean i went through a stretch like that when i lived in oregon actually like i didn't really have a whole lot motivating me to go out and and shoot and now that i'm back in colorado like there's places that i want to go that no one else has taken pictures of and i don't care if the light's good or not like i'm in a spot that no one else has been and it's fucking cool <laughs> <laughs> and that's man you just have to be you have to be willing to just be at a place and maybe not get a photo absolutely trying trying to force a shot everywhere you go or every trip you make i understand it because people work nine to five and they can only get out on the weekend or they have wife and kids or whatever it is holding them back from doing photography i understand if you're on limited time you just want to come back with something but if you're really trying to have a go at this and like make a name for yourself or whatever your goal is like you have to do more than just force something out of every situation you get into you have to like be able to curate and self-curate and understand when you didn't get something Mm -hmm. and just enjoy that you were there so that's i think that's been a huge part of my own improvement is just allowing myself to not get a shot because if you're focused on just getting something, you'll probably do what's easiest just to guarantee that you get it. If sunset's coming up and you don't have a composition of your own, you might, okay, well, I'll just go do the iconic one and just try to make it a little different. And then it's not really that different, the final result. It's just a little bit changed, but it's not you. Whereas if you were willing to really give up that sunset and potentially not get anything, you could explore something way different and maybe you wouldn't get anything at all it's not guaranteed because it's not made for you already but it could be something fantastic there's just a risk so there's a risk every time you go out if you decide to look for something unique i like it man yeah that's a great philosophy to have i feel like oh man if people just live by that they'd be in such a good place because i feel like it's so easy to fall into that trap of like wanting to produce an image that someone will like like so many people fall into that and i think it limits people creatively like they don't go out just wanting to be curious about the world and see things that interest them and speak to them and then ultimately that'll speak to other people i think i i agree and even if it's not like even if it's unique but not necessarily as strong of a composition technically speaking as the one that someone else did before um it does get a bump up just from being unique and that doesn't mean that anything unique is good 
like certainly you can't just go shoot some patch of dirt and just say like ah no one's ever shot this before this is unique this is awesome like it's <laughs> look at my table. it doesn't it's not automatically awesome but um right but you're just more likely to find something that really stands out an image that will speak to you over the years and hold stand the test of time yeah and yeah it just just it takes a risk like the one of my first dune images there was just this crazy sunset going off overhead it was like extremely red and I just completely ignored it for this other composition I had found that was totally me. That's so hard. And it's still still one of my favorite shots. It's a telephoto shot. But you can see the red light reflected from the sky. Like, that's what gives the dunes their pinkish-purple hue in the shot. Yeah. Um, It's kind of like a dusky-looking light, and that wouldn't have happened if that crazy sunset wasn't overhead. But I did have to ignore, like, an obvious but bold shot in order to get this one. And this one is one of my favorites and I don't think it would have been if I had gone for the wide shot with like a single curve leading in the foreground or whatever you would do at the dunes. So is that the I mean it was just a nocturne of shadow, is it that one? Yeah, yeah. that's that one. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's that's so hard to do, man, because like I don't know, I get distracted by the shiny pretty light sometimes. <laughs> oh me too, for sure. <laughs> it's I don't know, there's something about being a landscape photographer where you just get this pain in you if you're not capturing good light when it happens. Yeah. You almost like, feel like you're like being naughty or something. Just like, like you feel a need to. Like I'll even pull out my phone. I'm like, what am I doing? This is a phone. This sh- the file is gonna be garbage, like especially on such a bright sky. Right. It'll have to underexpose so bad. It'll be so noisy. What am I doing? I'm not gonna get anything out of this, but I just have to capture it anyway. It's like I have to do it. Just like while my camera's focused on the real composition. Then my phone's like, oh, I got to get that sky while it's there. I don't know why. But <laughs> but it's just, for me, it's been about showing restraint and not like making the photo about that and releasing the photo that's about that. Yeah. I still let myself go crazy in the moment or appreciate it. But Absolutely. I've, gotten, I've gotten more tolerant after seeing like where my favorite images come from and seeing the types of situations that produce my favorite images and seeing that it's often unexpected and it's not something as easily planned as um, a crazy sunset going off overhead. Right. I've been yeah, more comfortable letting that slide and just enjoying it, which I think is what normal people do when they see something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like if I'm like in a restaurant, if I'm in a restaurant and I see a crazy sunset going on outside, I'm not like, oh man, I'm out there, I'm missing it. Because that's happening over the city. Like, what would I do? Take a picture of a building with that over it? Like, I'm right. not missing anything. I just have to enjoy it. And the same thing goes for if a crazy sunset's happening at Trillium Lake. Like, the most that you're missing out on, if you don't shoot it, is a picture of Trillium Lake that looks like every other picture of Trillium Lake. Right. No offense to people that like those shots, but... No. <laughs> no, it's funny. I don't know if you if you follow um, Ron and Sarah... Oh, of um, course. Yeah. yeah We're good yeah. friends. I love talking to those guys. He put out a, a blog post, I think yesterday or the day before, like, I don't just take pretty photos anymore or something like that. But it was basically yeah. kind of about what we're talking about. like. Yeah, we've talked about that subject late into the night before. Ron, is, Ron and Sarah both are inspirations for me. Cool, yeah. I love what they're doing with their photography. and They've been doing it longer than I have, but... They've got just crazy portfolios built up. They've got so many images of that nature, like unique, abstract, um, intimate patterns, like 
they're really good at that, and I still think of them when I'm shooting those scenes sometimes. Yeah, I, I know for for myself, I I have an absolute no eye for it at all. I every time I go out, I try <laughs> to see it, and I'm like, ah, I just don't see anything there. <laughs> it's it's hard. Well, I mean, you still have to come up with an arrangement, you know. You do, like, yeah. Ron, Ron comes away with sweet shots of like pine cones and needles on the ground, and like I'll just walk over that stuff. <laughs> You're like, what is? <laughs> like him walking over shots that he would have made awesome, but it's not like he just recognizes it and points down and that's it. Right. Like he's still he's looking coming for up it, with yeah. a really balanced arrangement and all that. So yeah, definitely takes some skill. Absolutely. But yeah, about his posts, like yeah, that, I definitely agree with what he was saying. It's not that he's trying to tell anyone else how to shoot. I think that it was interpreted that way by some people. Oh, I didn't take it that way. <laughs> no, yeah, I, n- neither did I. But, but people that maybe were guilty of some of the things that he was disparaging were not happy with the post. And I think that they were taking it as like dictation. Like he's telling people, this is how you should shoot. Uh... I don't think so at all. I think that when someone speaks their mind about something like that, they're trying to inspire others, at least Ron. I mean, he's definitely got a positive tone throughout. He's not telling you that you're doing it wrong and you can't do it that way. You can't go shoot icons or whatever. He's saying that maybe you should look for something more and you might be fulfilled by it. And I just thought it was weird to see like this kind of backlash for something so positive to me. Yeah, I don't know. The internet never ceases to amaze me. <laughs> but that's kind of what we were talking about with social media like, yeah. and the criticism and the likes. Like, People just expect likes and backpats and positive comments only, and they never want to be challenged on any view. And it kind of reminds me of Trump supporters. How talking... political. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to talk about that specifically, but just like the the mentality that that if you criticize the president, you're all of a sudden like anti-patriotic and like all this, like just they can't take any criticism, but then they call everyone else snowflakes. Like it's the same sort of thing, I think, where um, people aren't able to be challenged on anything or have a debate anymore. There's no discourse like in the landscape photography community. I feel like it's much more focused now. Like, you'll have great discourse on a post by someone like Ron or David Thompson or whoever else is speaking their mind, people like that. But you'll also get a lot of, like, whiny backlash for just speaking your mind about something like that. And all you're saying is that these icons, like, there's more out there, you know? There's something else you could be finding other than, quote-unquote, the shot. Absolutely. Yeah, I just, I see... I see people that can't take criticism and I think they feel so terrible when they see a post like that because they know they're guilty of some of those things. Maybe I don't, and it's not guilty. Like, it's not like you're wrong. It's just maybe they feel disparaged and I just feel like that's an opportunity to learn and open your mind rather than get upset. So I see a lot of that in social media now. That's part of, part of the thing about the scene. No doubt. I usually ask two final questions, and I feel like you kind of already answered one of them. Like, uh, but I'll ask it anyway. You can see if if there's any anything else you want to add. I always ask people like based on the title of my podcast, "F Stop, Collaborate, and Listen," 
Uh, what does that mean to you? And what kind of advice would you have for other uh, photographers? Uh, yeah, I sort of did <laughs> answer that, at least the listen part. Yeah. <laughs> I think that if people were able to listen to criticism on their photo, critique, I should say, not just straight criticism like this sucks, but like, hey, I think this element is distracting and you should consider removing it or like the balance would be better if you had done this in the field. I think that people aren't willing to accept that they didn't come back with an image that they like. Like if someone took a trip to the Northwest or the Southwest or somewhere popular and they came back with all these images and then they were critiqued, uh, people made suggestions on them. They'd be like, well, I already made the trip. These are my images. Like <laughs> I can't change that. So I hate you. Like it's not, well, maybe just accept that the shot isn't as good as you thought it was and try again another time. Right. Um, take it as a learning opportunity. I just, I feel like people aren't willing to listen in that regard. So, Do you feel like there's a good forum for that, though? Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's tough. Facebook would be a great forum because everyone is friends on there, like pretty much every photographer that I'm friends with. And I have like almost a thousand pending friend requests too. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know these sure. people. Even without that, without those friends, I still have like 200 friends in common with almost every other photographer on my list. Like there's definitely a community and these people all recognize each other's names. Like it would be a great place, but I think maybe it's just too broad because there are too many of the people that um, aren't willing to listen or engage in discourse mixed in with the more thoughtful people and just they don't gel very well i feel like that would be a great place though i mean Shit, obviously man. like everyone can comment and see the comments and join in on the discussion and can post photos and like the infrastructure's there it's just maybe it's we should create a f-stop collaborate and listen facebook group where we groups post yeah. and get critiqued groups are a good spot to do that um i kind of i just show my images to my buddies like my close friends who are photographers before I release, if it's something that I am not sure about. Like, I have people that I trust, and that's part of it. Like, you don't want just some guy off the street coming and saying things about your photo because you need to be able to trust his opinion right. or her opinion. And, like, the reason that I trust these people's opinions is because their photos are good or I respect what they're doing. Or, you know, know they have a good eye or something. Yeah. It's not to say that everyone that ever told me something about one of my photos would be right and I'd have to listen to it. Like, I definitely, <laughs> right. want, I definitely want the opinion of someone that I consider to have the same values or goals or to at least understand what mine are and who has a good eye. So, yeah, I think small groups are a good way to do it. NPN used to be great, man. Yeah, that's what people keep telling me. Flickr was great. Um, when it was early, even yeah. now, actually, Flickr's kind of fallen so far by the wayside that it's a very small forum again. Like, you can post a photo on there and it can get on Explore, I guess, is their way of like doing a front page. And it can get seen by a lot of random Flickr people that way. But for the most part, it's just your followers and not that many people are on Flickr anymore. So I feel like I get decent commentary there, like more thoughtful comments. Um, about the actual image and not just like beautiful, great, pretty, just like whatever the one word kind of say. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I actually like, I always, well, I don't always post to Flickr. I post, 
I try to post to Flickr once every nine days because that's <laughs> you talk about being explored. You can't be explored more than once every nine days. Oh, okay. I, like I did all this research on the algorithm and like yeah. So like I pretty much now if I post a photo on Flickr it gets explored, but that's because I've kind of figured out how it works. <laughs> but I gotcha. I was. I was wondering where that came from, like the the rhyme or reason behind it. Because I have some photos that get like thousands of favorites, and then some get like a hundred. And it's not it's not related to the photo. It's because of whether it was explored or not. But I don't know. I just I just throw the photos up on there. I don't pay attention. I probably should. Okay, so my last question, man. Well, I didn't tell you what f stop means or collaborate. <laughs> oh yeah, go for it, dude. No, I mean, collaborate would be along the same lines. People should just <laughs> have discussions and discourse instead of getting all whiny and, like, retreating and blocking people and then going and making passive-aggressive posts about what they saw. Like, maybe you could just have a discussion and share ideas. Anyway, F-stop, <laughs> we all know what that is. <laughs> so, well, shit, do you think there's any value in creating a, a Facebook group for people that have been on the podcast? For people that have been on the podcast, that would be... Um, like 15 people so far but it'll keep growing yeah but i mean like for that purpose like to collaborate and like get critique i think that would be cool i would check it out i'm always i'm always interested in giving critique just because i think that that's such a huge part of the artistic process is self-evaluation and i don't have that many photos like i'm pretty selective on what i shoot so i think i have a lot more in me then I can only use on my own photos. Like you give me extra photos to critique. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I can talk about the composition and all this stuff that I would think about on my own if I had any more. Yeah, I'd be into that. Cool. Yeah, I've been thinking about something. That might be fun. I've been in some small private critique groups before, and they're pretty cool for a while. I mean, like I like the vibe. I think part of it gets down to people being busy and never posting, and then other people don't like critique and just like throw their photo up and expect everyone to just like it and not ever say anything about it and just the dynamics can be weird because it's Mm -hmm. so intimate but yeah i mean i'd be down to check one out if you made it okay i'll think about it see if i see if i can get a few other people to to join in on it because i think in order to keep it active you need enough people to post and 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 whatnot so (laughs) yeah well can't be like 10 people or whatever yeah a little too small but yeah <laughs> well let me know what you think of there okay what was the other question you said there yes were so uh if you were like um subscribed on itunes and um it said uh this person is now up on the f-stop collaborate and listen podcast who would you be most excited to hear about or have on the podcast Ooh. Hmm. probably my favorite landscape photographers so I don't know how many of them would be interested in doing a podcast or whether you could get a hold of them, but I would say like Guy Tall yep. is maybe my favorite photographer. I would listen to any interview by him. Uh, Hans Strand, Art Wolf, Floris Van Bruegel, Alexandre Deschamps, yep. Michael Fatale. It's kind of an old school guy. I don't even know like if you could get him on the internet. Franz Lanting, he's a Nat Geo photographer might be too busy in Antarctica or something. Uh, those people are like my top shelf. Like 
I think they are fantastic artists, and anything they had to say, I would listen. Not to say that my next suggestions aren't top shelf, but maybe more realistic in terms of getting a hold of them. <laughs> like Sarah and Ron, I would listen to anything they had to say. Um, Alistair Ben, he's uh, over there in oh, yeah. Europe. I bet, I bet you could get a hold of him. Didn't he run the um, one, what was that site? Does, doesn't he? Oh, he ran Y Take for a yeah, while. Yeah, Y Take. That was that was actually to get back to a previous topic. That was a really cool little photo sharing site that somehow, without a curation, like without judges curating, like on one X, anyone could upload whatever they wanted. But somehow, it was extremely high quality. Like you almost never saw a bad shot on there. It was all very thoughtful. Huh. It just attracted that kind of people. But the thing is, I, I don't know if he was hosting it in Europe or what, but it's just always really slow, and I think that prevented a lot of Americans, at least, from using it. And then it had like file size restrictions, like uh, and and resolution restrictions, and it's just you can't do that stuff anymore. I don't think like you can't make someone make another JPEG right, for right, right. one site, or they're just not going to upload. So that might have helped kill it, but I don't I don't remember why he shut it down. But that was really cool. The thing is, it was so small; he almost never got any commentary going. But uh, just for looking at images and inspiration that was fantastic nice yeah so alistair ben um jack brower he's over in colorado maybe you could meet up in person yeah i've been i've been talking to jack off and on for years like he's definitely one of my favorites he's fantastic i mean if you ever look up any colorado or san juan's location and you're looking on google images you'll see like a bunch of snapshots and then you'll see a really really good shot and that's usually jack's <laughs> Yep, yep. And then, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's those are a lot of people that I would like to hear from. I would mention my friends, but I talk to them all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> And they're probably already on my list anyway. Probably.